So this is the third week in our sermon series that we're calling Hearing the Voice of God. And something we get asked fairly often is, how do I know when God is speaking to me? How, do, how am I sure that I heard it or that I'm interpreting what God said to me correctly? Something we hear very frequently is, I prayed to God so diligently and so earnestly about this one thing, and I felt like God didn't hear me. I feel like God did not respond to me. And I think at our core as Christians and believers, something we so desperately want to know is that our God hears us, that our God listens to us, and that God is, in fact, moving in our lives and speaking to us. Sometimes speaking very loudly and very clearly and very directly, but other times God can speak softly and quietly in that still, small voice. The past two weeks, Pastor Tom has been preaching to us from the parable of the seed sower, which is a short story by Jesus, and he shared with us two principles we need to have Uh, if we're going to be able to hear God speak. And the first was this. We have to cultivate an open mind. That takes work. We have to cultivate an open mind. And the second thing, if we want to hear God speak, is we have to learn how to listen. We have to learn how to listen. Over 70% of our communication is us talking. Very rarely do we take time to listen to one another or listen to God in our lives. And then we took it a step further last week and we shared ways, four practical, tangible ways that we can really discern if it's God speaking to us or perhaps if it's a voice that uh, is our own or what we want to hear. And those were this. The first question we can ask is, does it make me more like Christ? The second, does my church family confirm it, whatever I'm hearing? Is it consistent with how God shaped me? Is it part of our tradition? And lastly, does it agree with what the Bible says? And that's what we're going to spend our time talking about this morning. Because as I've been pondering the ways that I hear God speak in my life, and I I try so hard to listen for God's voice every day in my life, I believe that God truly does speak to us very, very frequently, but we haven't gone through the practice of cultivating that open mind and being prepared to listen. And so I was thinking about what is the, the number one way that I hear the voice of God that I feel most connected with God? And one answer came to the surface. One rose to the top, and it became abundantly clear to me what that answer was. And it was when I opened my Bible and I read from the words of Scripture. Because we heard in that passage that Grady just read from John chapter 1 that Jesus is the Word of God, that Jesus' life was the example of what Scripture tries to teach us and to tell us. 
Now, I know that might not be a surprising answer to you, or perhaps you're thinking to yourself, of course you told us that we need to read the Bible as Christians. Maybe you're thinking, you're a pastor. For heaven's sake, it's your job to tell us to read the Bible. Don't we pay you to read the Bible? Don't we pay you to get up here every week and tell us what that Bible's message is for our lives? Didn't you go to seminary for all those years to learn everything there is to learn about that Bible? And in three years of seminary, I can tell you, I didn't even come close to learning everything that God is trying to tell us in those holy words. But what I do want to do today is to learn more about this book to talk more about its significance for our lives and to give you some real tangible information that maybe will inspire you to make it a part of your daily routine and your daily rhythm so that you too can hear the voice of God. You see, I think we know as Christians we're supposed to read our Bibles, but oftentimes we don't. You know, maybe you have a Bible, but maybe it's an older Bible and it's, it's hard to read, or perhaps you don't even have your own Bible. And if that's you, I would love to have you go to the welcome desk out in the lobby after the service, and we would love to give you a Bible that's got some study notes with it, and it's easier to read than perhaps one you've had. Let that be our gift to you so you can start this journey. Or maybe when you read the Bible... It just doesn't make sense. There's a lot of really confusing and challenging stories in our Bible. Or maybe you're at a point in your faith journey where you're finally okay with this whole church thing. You're okay with the service aspect of being a Christian, but you're still not too sold on the Bible. After all, it is a 2,000-year-old book. Is it still significant for us today? Is it really worth my time to see what it has to say? My hope is, and my prayer going into our teaching time this morning, is that by the end of our time together today, the Spirit will move and God will speak to you about the importance of reading this Bible. You see, someone once compared the Word of God, someone in the Bible compared the Word of God to a double-edged sword. It has the ability to cut our heart and to change our lives forever. You see, this Bible, its words have tremendous power. And so I never, never ever do I go into studying God's Word Lightly, And none of us ever should. It's, a, it's an important task. It's a challenging task. The Bible has the ability to change our minds, to change our lifestyles, and to cut out the sin in all of our lives. However, something with that much power also has the ability to do some harm when it's used in the wrong way. Whenever we use that Bible as a sword to harm other people or to prove to other people that we're right and they're wrong, God is not glorified in that. We never want to use God's Word to do harm to others. 
That should be a priority that we have as disciples. I think what's most important when we think about it, or one of the most important things, is that as United Methodists, we believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. That God speaks to us clearly when we read the words on the page. We often think of this Bible as one large book, which makes sense. It looks like one large book, but I want to encourage you to think of the Bible as a library. The Bible is a library of several smaller books put together, combined over a thousand-year period to make up what we know as the Bible. So now I've shared with you the scripture and where we're at. I want to pause. I see a couple of faces that are starting to glaze over. So we're going to have a pop quiz in worship now to make sure you've been listening. Uh, I want to bring out your teaching notes. They're in your bulletin. You can follow along. Uh, I'm going to go pull out my inner Baptist for everybody right now. Or maybe you'll get a flashback to vacation Bible school. Uh, and we're going to do a little Bible trivia quiz. And I want some congregational involvement. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions. If you know the answer, shout it out nice and loud. And we're Methodist. We love grace. So if you're wrong, I promise not to pick on you either. All right, so the first question is this. How many books in the Bible are there? 66. There's a few more than five, but I love the enthusiasm. <laughs> yes, 66 books in the whole Bible. Now, how many books are there in the Old Testament? 39. Not a lot of confidence in that answer, but that's okay. All right, then how many books are in the New Testament? How many are left? 27. Good. Now, how many Gospels are there? Four. All right, we're getting more confident as the answers go by. Okay, now, what is the first book of this Bible? Genesis. We're getting louder. This is good. What is the last book of the Bible? Revelation. Perhaps one of the hardest books to read and understand, but I would argue the book that gives us the most hope of any for us Christians. Okay, a little bit harder. What is the shortest book in all of the Bible? I hear Jude. Not quite close to Jude. Philemon, another good guess. But no, the answer is actually the book of 3 John. 3 John, it has a grand total of 219 words. Now, the opposite of that, what is the longest book in the Bible? Ooh, a lot of people do think th Psalms, but it is actually Jeremiah, the major prophet of Jeremiah, and he had a lot to say, 33,002 words in Jeremiah. Whew. We would need a four-year sermon series to get through Jeremiah. Okay, and lastly, extra credit question. What is my favorite book of the Bible? James. Outstanding. Yes, James is my favorite book of the Bible. Now, fantastic. You passed the quiz. This is the best part about being a United Methodist. We're a team. We are a connection, and we work together. We study together. And now, a lot of this next bit of information is a little bit of history, a little bit of context, and some facts about this Bible. And you can follow along in your teaching notes or maybe jot down a note if this is a new information for you. 
Uh, So these 66 books in our Protestant Bible were written over a 1,000-year period. A lot of people don't think about that. We oftentimes just think, well, the Bible has always been or the Bible always was, but there's over a thousand years worth of stories in there. Uh, And it was written in three different languages. The first was Hebrew in the Old Testament, and then in Aramaic. Aramaic was the language that Jesus spoke, and then the majority of the New Testament was written in Greek. Three different languages. And the books are obviously very different lengths, from 219 words to 33,000 words and everywhere in between. In the first 39 books, the Old Testament, we find legends. We find histories. We find liturgies for community worship. There's songs. There's proverbs. There's psalms. And there's even sermons, full sermons in our Old Testament. And even a poetic drama in the book of Job. And then we get to the New Testament, and there are gospels, the four gospels, meaning good news. There's a great deal of history in the New Testament, too. There are many, many letters and an apocalypse, which we know as Revelation. And yet, through it all, there is one common theme and one common thread, is that the Bible is the story of God and God's covenant with all of God's people. That is the main theme of our story. And in the early times, and for many generations, these 66 books were used by faithful people. And in the process, the merit of each one of these smaller books, uh, they were weighed. And the community of believers throughout the history of our church Uh, finally gave certain books special authority over others. We believe that each of these books were tested by faith. They were proven by experience, and for us, they have become sacred. They've become the rule of our faith and of all of our practices. You see, in Israel, and I'll put these up on the screen because it's a lot of dates, The book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, was adopted in about 621 B.C., before Christ. Uh, And then the Torah, or the law, all five of the first books, uh, they were not adopted until around 400. The prophets, Jeremiah being one of them, one of the four major prophets, wasn't until 200 B.C. And then finally, the writings, a hundred years later, after that. And then... There was a great deal of struggle in the life of our early church for people to determine, would we keep the Old Testament as a part of our scripture, or since Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, had come, do we need to write new scripture? And the church finally agreed that the Old Testament would remain scripture, but there would also be a New Testament. And that wouldn't be agreed upon until the years 200 to 400 after Jesus had died rose again and ascended into heaven. Nearly 400 years after Jesus left the earth, the church finally agreed on which books would be a part of our New Testament. That's a lot of languages. That's a lot of generations. That's a lot of time that passed from beginning to end of writing that library of books. But we have faith. 
that God was a part of the process. And that is God's word for us. But if I had to share with you perhaps... Uh, other than the main theme of it's God's story and God's covenant with us, the main thing I believe we need to know as Christians is that this book, our Bible, contains all things necessary that we need to know on how to be saved. We believe the Bible shares everything with us that we need to know to be given our salvation. And there are three important things that go along with this. They're in your teaching notes, and they'll be on the screen. The first is this. We hold that the writers of the Bible were inspired by God, that they were filled with God's Spirit, and they wrote the truth to the best of their knowledge. The people that wrote the Bible, after all, were humans, just like us. The second part of this is we hold that God was at work in the process of canonization, or picking which books would end up in the Bible, during which only the most faithful and useful books were adopted as Scripture. And then last is this. We hold that the Holy Spirit works today in our thoughtful study of the Scriptures, especially as we study them together, seeking to relate the old words to life's present reality. As United Methodists, when we think about Scripture, those are three of our core values or our tenets that we believe. And we also have to name as disciples of Christ that the words of Scripture are not these magical words, but they're very human words, and we trust that God was a part of the writing of them, of the putting them together, and then still speaking to us with them in our lives today. The bottom line is this, as United Methodists and as Christians as a whole, we put the Bible to work. In congregational worship, we read from the Bible every single week in worship. In our preaching, we do our best to faithfully interpret its message for us. All of the hymns we sing and the songs we say together are rooted in Scripture. Our Bible study and Sunday school curriculum is rooted in In Scripture, this Bible is the foundation for everything we believe in our church. It's important that we know what these pages say. But I couldn't be true to myself in this teaching time with us this morning if I didn't share that there are challenging passages in Scripture. There are passages that are really hard to understand. There are parts in there where you might ask yourself, why is this in here? What could I possibly learn from this story or this metaphor or this poem or this song? And my encouragement is when we talked about studying Scripture, it's not something we go into lightly, but we go into it with an attitude of prayer. A simple prayer of God, inspire me today that I might hear what you have to say to me as I read these words. But maybe you've heard me do my best to make an effort to explain what this Bible is and why it's so significant, but you're still not sold on the idea of why it's so important. 
Or maybe there's been a part in your life where someone has used this book to do harm against you and you're just a little bit apprehensive to dive in. I love the last verse in our scripture text this morning where it talks about how Jesus Christ is the light of the world and in him there is no darkness and the darkness cannot extinguish the light. That's what we talked about on Christmas Eve this year if you were here to worship with us and how we made that our plan for 2020 to live and be the light of Christ in the world. And it was a few days after our Christmas Eve service that uh, Jessica and I went off to Disney World for a few days. Uh, we had the brilliant idea to take our entire family to Disney World over New Year's uh, this year. Uh, little did we know that when we made these plans and had this good idea that she would be eight and a half months pregnant while we were there. If she, You're lucky she's not here. She would have needed a lot more sympathy than that. <laughs> But nevertheless, we got to ride a bunch of rides. We got to eat some delicious food. And I tell you what, we found every single bench that Disney World had while we were there. And while we were there, I was thinking about the kind of year that I wanted 2020 to be. I was thinking about how Christ is the light of the world. And I have to tell you, the highlight of the trip for me was being able to be with my eight-month-old nephew the first time he saw the Magic Kingdom fireworks. It's a good story, I promise. <laughs> but what was interesting to me is that before the fireworks started, uh, we plotted together uh, scenarios for whatever may happen. If my two-year-old nephew got too afraid, my brother-in-law was going to push him in the stroller into one of the stores, and we were going to get him a lollipop to cheer him up. If the eight-month-old was terrified by the loud noises and the bright lights, well, my sister-in-law would just take him, they'd get on the bus, and they'd head back and get ready for bedtime. We were so prepared for whatever was going to happen. We got a perfect spot on Main Street. We were ready. We got the strollers in an organized fashion. And then when the fireworks finally started, the two-year-old passed out, totally asleep. <laughs> Didn't see a single moment. But the eight-month-old started with this expression on his face, just one of confusion of what was happening with these lights in the sky. And then as the fireworks went on and he saw this majestic display in the sky, his eyes changed and he was just full of amazement and wonder, seeing the lights in the sky. And I couldn't help but think to myself in that moment, is that not what our faces will look like when we see Jesus face to face one day as well? When our time on this earth has come to its end and we are in eternity with our creator, won't we have that same look of wonder in our eyes? When Jesus is the light of our lives and the world and there is no darkness that could extinguish that. And I thought... We don't have to wait for eternity to have that amazement with our Savior. But God has given us the words of Jesus Christ in our Bibles. And God calls us to be connected with Christ. And we can have that look of amazement, that great satisfaction, when we are committed to making Scripture the foundation of our lives.
And maybe that could be our commitment for this new year, to be a people who are rooted in God's word. Now, the original plan was to have the sermon end right there. You all were going to exhale nice and large because you were hanging on every word that I was saying, and you were ready to go home and to create a plan of how you were going to read Scripture in this new year. But God spoke to me and some of the members of our church staff this week, and we were reflecting upon about two summers ago as a congregation, uh, we went on a journey to read the New Testament in 90 days. Uh, a lot of people in our congregation participated in that, and uh, we had conversations about how meaningful that was. And if you can believe this or not, from now until Easter is 84 days. It's not 90. That would have been really cool. Uh, but there are 84 days between now and Easter, and we as a church staff uh, put together an 84-day uh, scripture reading plan for us as a congregation to do together. And if you spend about 10 or 15 minutes a day uh, following this plan, you'll be able to read the entire New Testament before Easter arrives. What a wonderful way to be spiritually prepared for this new year, for the season of Lent, for Holy Week, and the resurrection of our Savior. Uh, and if you did the New Testament in 90 days with us a couple summers ago, and you're saying, I just did that, I really don't know if I want to do it again, I thought of you. So we changed the order up. Uh, we made it chronological, so you're going to read the books in the order they were written, which is actually different than the order than they're in the Bible. Uh, so it'll have a different feel. And so I want to I invite you, but I, I want to do more than invite you. I want to I ask you to really have a time of prayer, whether that's today or before you go to bed, and to make a commitment to God that you will go on this journey of reading the New Testament in 84 days in this new year. Maybe your New Year's resolution has already met its end. Or maybe you haven't started your resolution for this year, but won't you join us, your church family, your church staff, and your pastors in reading the New Testament? Because I believe that God wants to speak to each of us and the best way we can hear God's voice in our everyday lives is by reading the Bible. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you are a God who listens to us, a God who hears us, but we thank you that you are a God who speaks to us. You speak to us in a still small voice and in a loud voice other times, but we know that you speak to us through your holy scripture. So in these next 84 days, may our hope and our prayer be that you will speak to us individually and as the people known as your church. And all of God's people said, amen.